everyone and welcome to this week's social action briefing i'm craig milch i'm here with professor jessica mitchell hi jess hey craig and also joined by uh, alexandria hanna a dual social work and master's of public health student hello alex hey welcome back um we talked about uh your locality last week, the uh, Yimby protest for affordable housing out east. Nice. It's definitely about time that they start changing some of these um, housing regulations around here. Like, we need more houses. We need more affordability. Yes. And everyone needs to be okay with affordable housing being adjacent to them if it comes to it. Um, Everybody has affordable housing adjacent to them already, and they're just ignoring (laughs) what's there and just don't want anything new built. And it's just really so ridiculous. Yeah. We don't like NIMBYs on social action briefing. Um, We are recording this Wednesday night, December 15th. And this is sort of the finale of season one, you could say, because we're going on break. We'll be back in four weeks after this. Um, but for now, we'll get into our updates. Um, we have a new uh, edition of our uh, segment, Republicans Taking Credit for Stuff They Oppose. This one's really special because it is uh, Paul Gosar, the crazy dentist of Arizona, who uh, put out a statement in uh, response to the Department of Transportation's decision to award $32,000 to the city of Kingman for their airport. Um, The funding came, again, from the American Rescue Plan of 2021 uh, that Gosar, of course, voted against. um, But his statement was, I am pleased to announce that the city of Kingman will receive this critical funding for economic relief related to operational costs for cleaning and sanitizing the Kingman airport to combat the spread of COVID-19. This funding is essential to maintaining safe and reliable air service to the community. That sounds way too hinged to to be uh, his words. So some staffer said that. Um, and then there's this whole thing. That stuff comes from. It's not the elected yeah. themselves. Someone else is writing it and they are just approving it. Yeah, and they get they, they still get credit for the hypocrisy though. Um, and then the mayor of the area, like in this press release from Gosar's office, says we are grateful for Congressman Gosar's continued support. And this funding will help with the ever-growing Kingman Municipal Airport operations. And I guess someone in the mayor's office is on Twitter because uh, that the mayor then later put out a statement where they like thanked, uh, they thanked Kirsten Cinema and Mark Kelly, I think. Um, so like two people actually voted for it and then like made a reference to Gosar just like being in support of the airport generally. <laughs> so they had to like clarify their, uh, their thank you statement. Um, which is really funny. So that's that segment. Um, <laughs> next, we will move on uh, to another instance of voter fraud. Yes, voter fraud. It happened. Um, we, we, you know, this is this is us being the Kraken right now. Um, there's a story that three residents of a certain area 
were uh, arrested after casting multiple votes in the 2020 election. These three residents came from the famous villages in Florida, which is like a community of rich Trump supporters. Um, so of course it's again, those people that are doing the voting fraud, two of them uh, also voted in New York. One of them also voted in Michigan. Um, they live in the villages. Two of them are registered as Republican, one of no affiliation, but they all had pro-Trump Facebook posts. And again, they live in the villages. So we, while we don't have a record of who they voted for uh, twice, we, can, we have a pretty good idea. We can safely assume, and this is just a long list of Republicans that double vote and then turn around and blame Democrats and say that Democrats are double voting. So it really is just a load of shit. Um, and I'm sure they will somehow turn this around and blame the new New York City law that allows residents that are non-citizens to participate in city elections. Yeah, they, the the right-wing propaganda has a way of uh, doing those gymnastics and, and contortion acts to, to do something like that. You know, although I will say that it kind of, it's sort of like the equivalent of, well, uh, I can caveat that later, but basically like the way that uh, Republicans are gerrymandering and it's in response, like as long as gerrymandering is allowed, like I'm of the opinion that Democrats should do it too whenever possible so they don't just unilaterally disarm. I guess this is where these people are coming from is if they assume there's rampant voter fraud by people voting for Democrats that they're, they don't want to unilaterally disarm and, and vote legally. <laughs> it just, yeah, but it's just so like mind boggling. It's such a solution in search of a problem. And every time it comes up, it's always these people who are registered Republicans, who are Trump supporters. I was watching this like very brief clip that was from the 2020 election. I can't remember the guy's name. He goes around and interviews people at Trump rallies and he was speaking to a Trump supporter at a rally who had actually been arrested and fined because she double voted. And it's like, I, I don't get the rationale behind it, I don't understand. We need to stop the tit for tat of you do it, so we're going to do it, especially when we're not even doing it in the first place. <laughs> it's hard enough to get Democrats to vote once. Yeah. Was it Jordan Klepper? You know, I never knew the guy's name, so it's not going to come to me in a couple of minutes. Um, you know, if you showed me a picture of him or a video he did, I would know who it was. I was just. He's like the Daily Show guy that. Uh... Or at least, I don't know if he still works for The Daily Show, but did at one point. And yeah, he goes to all the rallies and uh, and interviews them, and it's probably him. Um, anyway, next piece. Um, so a progress report, basically, on the supervised injection sites in, uh, in the city, in New York City. There were 28 overdoses reversed uh, so far. Um, so that's 28 people that are alive that otherwise probably would not have been, um, assuming they were have done the same drugs in a place without people to help them. Um, so that's a good thing. And um, I, yeah, there was 
it was basically like the there's an interview that de blasio did with uh new york once errol lewis and kind of mentioned that you know there's people saying like why isn't it in manhattan like you know why is it not here why is it not there like the two sites were put where where it's needed um and there were some other interesting tidbits about the process in there. He mentioned um, Philadelphia and, well, yeah, basically reiterate, reiterated what we said here was that, you know, Philly wanted to do it, but, you know, there, it, it was looking like uh, the, the Trump administration, you know, wasn't going to allow it. Um, but, he said de blasio said they had dialogue with the federal government state government before green lighting the two sites um and yeah so it's going well so far um i think he also in this interview intimated that he might run for governor which i don't oh. know who's calling for that but there's literally nobody. I mean, this was a case of a guy who won the Democratic primary for the New York City mayor in 2013, basically due to his over-participatory minority supporters, minority meaning just in the number of people who actually supported him, um, like over-participated in the election and everyone else's you know, voter based and just didn't really turn out for them. Um, and he like accidentally won the election. Every election is important or you end up with, you know, basically an eight year lame duck mayor. Um, and I don't understand who is actually going to vote for him in a Democratic primary for governor, considering the fact that A, he's barely a Democrat and B, I've never met a person who was excited about him being in government ever. Wait, why is he barely a Democrat? I mean, he is like a Democrat out of convenience. He lives in New York City. You know, I mean, yes, like he's done some things that I am not upset about, but he just is like a Democrat of convenience. I mean, well, two things. One, he ran for president, so I'm not surprised that he's going to try to run for governor if he no. if he was delusional enough to run for president. But he ran as a progressive. Like I don't think he's like a reverse Tim Scott, where like there is actually a story of like Tim Scott. Like I think when he was in college or something, had to pick a party, and it was just deemed that it would be easier for him to rise to the top of the Republican Party. Than the Democratic Party, so he like picked that, but I don't, I don't get that from De Blasio. I'm not saying he's I mean, like a conservative Republican, but it you know it was really kind of just like a middle of the road person who picked the convenient party to be a member of. Could be. Yeah. I mean, and he's definitely. Um, I don't. He just comes across as very ego driven. I feel like I think that's why. I think that's why people hate him on a bipartisan basis. I don't know. I don't know. I never really understood like why people hate him so much. I mean, he, he definitely when around like COVID, he definitely screwed up a bunch of times. Um, and like, <laughs> and I think him bumbling so much and like, I think getting caught where he wasn't supposed to be and stuff like using the gym or whatever, like there was a oh, contrast yeah. between him and Cuomo, which led to that lionization of Cuomo that, uh, hopefully everyone involved with that regrets um, so okay yeah I mean I I guess like that's also like kind of part of the just doesn't really seem to be 
like a strong, you know, democratic candidate is like, he spent most of his time as mayor just kind of cleaning up like stupid messes that he's made. Like nothing that I perceive to be like extremely, you know, wrong, but just like bumbling stuff, like just these yeah. stupid things. Like I'm sure he was in that gym by himself, but how elitist is it that no one else can go to the gym and like, you're allowed to, like, it just, it's just like these stupid sort of mistakes that he makes. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like he was a progressive candidate in the presidency too, just as like, a matter of like convenience. Like, I don't believe that he has any like real convictions. He just is what he is like out of the convenience of the moment rather than any kind of strong feeling about what he's saying. Well, we might be able to suss that out further should he run for governor. Mm. <laughs> and uh, something we won't have to, so the, it's it's 2022, right? The governor's race. It's not, yeah. So the gubernatorial primary is going to be in June. And then the general election will be in November of 2022. And the person will take office in January of 2023. Yeah. So um, what we will not have to worry about through that whole time period <laughs> is the debt ceiling, mm-hmm. um, something that we've been tracking on this podcast. It's uh, it was raised. So what happened was um, Senate Republicans, there were 10 to um, allow for like a filibuster carve out. So they made a a one time exception that um, they could raise the debt ceiling with 50 votes, which Democrats did. Um, And they they raised it to two and a half trillion, um, which is really just a number like what is that like? mean to us but it do, what it does mean is that it base it, it kind of sets the timeline for the next debt ceiling crisis or need to raise it to uh 2023 i think like march of 2023 or something like that um they could have like raised it to 100 trillion or a google like that number that's like 100 zeros or whatever it is um but for some reason they decided to like set up another conflict you know when it's there. It's possible that uh, Republicans will have control of Congress. Then. So that's weird. Um, like I feel like if they just like I get like they don't want again and like when trying to figure out what they're doing, you know, you, you like my thoughts go right to like what are they afraid of? And they're probably like if they had raised it to ten trillion, they would be afraid of ads by Republicans saying that the crazy Democrats raised the debt ceiling to $10 trillion. But like, is that really scarier than two and a half? I don't know. And like something comically absurd, um, which I think like the only other country that has a debt ceiling has like a comically absurdly high uh, level. Like, so of course they didn't do that or abolish it, which they can't, but. I feel like this is just a situation of really wanting to, first of all, not explain the necessity to make a change, but also just fear-mongering like on yourself, which Democrats often do. There is, you know, it kind of ties into like the whole like student loan issue and like not 
you know, forgiving student loans, it's like, yes, there's so many people all over social media, like regular people and pundits complaining, this isn't the thing to do, don't bail people out, whatever. But the amount of people that would actually be helped by something like this far outweighs the people that are complaining about it. And it's like, listen to your base, listen to the people that are telling you to do the right thing. Like they are going to always be quieter when it comes to actually getting these things done, but they're not going to show up and vote for you if you don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, with the debt ceiling, it's just averting a crisis and like having a point of leverage where like, I mean, it's only going to be the case where Republicans threaten to not raise a debt ceiling and extract stuff like Whatever, I was referring to actually Democrats. abolishing it. Like they're not going to oh. do it for that reason. Like there's no, there's really no reason to have it, but it's just, they're like just so complacent with actually explaining to people why it's necessary to just get rid of it and not have to have this fight every, you know, couple of months or years, depending on the year. Um, and it's because there's this, you know, very loud minority of people who are like against it, like don't spend that much money Democrats tax and spend, you know, big government, all this stuff. And it's like, if people actually understood why we, it'd be better to get rid of it, they would be okay with it. They just don't get it. Well, yeah. What's needed to get rid of it? What's that? What's needed to get rid of the debt? Yeah, that's, that was, that's a perfect uh, transition to what I was going to say. So like, that's the thing is that what they do need to get rid of it is getting rid of the filibuster. So like, you can just add the you know abolishing the debt ceiling to the list of all kinds of stuff that needs to happen um and but is stopped by the filibuster being a thing um and it is it is interesting you know there's this is this is also kind of you know setting a precedent like so like for you know for people who haven't listened to previous episodes and don't know like what the debt ceiling issue is it's basically um it's it's allowing the federal government to pay for spending that they've already decided to spend. Um, so it's not like, like it's about past spending. This isn't like preventing any future spending by like keeping the debt ceiling. And then if you don't raise the debt ceiling, then the government defaults on its debt and it's a huge calamity for everyone in the world really. So it's just like this dumb like political game. Um, and yeah, so the only, the only way to get rid of it is really to get rid of the filibuster or to get uh, 10 Republicans on board with 50 Democrats to get rid of the debt ceiling, which is not going to happen. Um, but, you know, the fact that there was this carve out done to the filibuster to raise it this time shows that the filibuster can be altered when you really have to, um, you know, and. There's so many there, reasons why we really have to. I mean, there's so many things yeah. we need to pass and they just need to start doing it. And a lot of it has nothing to do with money. We need the Voting Rights Act restored. There's, yeah. we, we need national you know, legislation on gun control. We need national legislation banning chokeholds. Like there's so many things we need to get done. That's literally- Immigration reform. Lives. Yes. It, literally what? It's literally going to save people's lives. Yeah. 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 Um, so and then and that's yeah with voting rights and also election protection um there's you know there's people are talking about it more and more about you know get like doing a filibuster carve out for it 
uh, Kirsten Cinema today made a statement against uh, altering the filibuster to save voting rights because she's worried about what would be done on the reverse if Republicans got power, what they would do to voting rights, which is always a dumb argument, but is an especially dumb argument when that is exactly what's happening in the states already. So great job continuing to be the worst social worker in America, Kirsten Cinema. Um, Someone should make her a certificate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we can present her an award. Um, <laughs> so I, I know Jess, you're in our, uh, you're in the uh, our little outline Google Doc, and I changed the order because we we started to talk about student loan payments. That is uh, another uh, topic we're going to touch on here. So. Basically, the Biden administration said that they were going to end, well, the, the student loan payment pause is set to end on January 31st, and they're not going to do anything about it. Um, it seems like they realize how shady this is and like have some plans to mitigate the shittiness. We don't know what they are yet. They're going to, you know, they're talking about releasing more details in the coming weeks. They're planning to engage directly with uh, federal student loan borrowers to ensure they have the resources, blah, blah, blah. They're assessing the impact of Omicron variant. Um, and they're saying that the smooth <clears throat> transition back to repayment is a high priority for the administration. Uh, the DOE is already communicating with borrowers to help them prepare for the return of repayment. Um, and uh, yeah, they, I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, a couple of things. First of all, assessing, you know, the impact of the Omicron variant better mean that you're going to pause them for an extended period of time again, because we haven't been paying them for two years and <clears throat> the economy hasn't collapsed. So there's really no reason to start forcing people to repay them again. Um, but this whole smooth transition and the DOE discussing this with people is actually a complete clusterfuck because they are emailing everybody everybody who owns a federal student loan saying that your payments are going to start again on February 1st, which is factually incorrect. I just had this conversation with someone today who was having a minor heart attack because she thought her repayments were going to start. And she is currently in the process of submitting the public student loan forgiveness paperwork. And in that process requested that her loans, you know, stay in deferment until they've been properly assessed because she has already made 14 years worth of payments. So she has overpaid by four years and doesn't need to continue making payments. Yet they are emailing her telling her repayments are going to start on February 1st. They're not. They're also emailing me telling me that my payments are going to start again on February 1st, which they're not because I'm a student. So while my payments will not be mm -hmm. resuming because I'm currently a PhD student and my loans will remain in in-school deferment, once the pause is lifted, the 0% interest is also lifted, meaning that every month, beginning February 1st, I will be accruing $387.23 a month in interest on my unsubsidized, meaning the government doesn't pay my interest while I'm in school, federal student loans. So this whole assessing the impact thing better be assessing like the interest rate, the fact that people shouldn't be forced to make payments, all of that stuff, because there's really no reason for it just get rid of them or at the bare minimum 
in an effort to actually make change because forget blanket forgiveness for everyone is not actually going to solve the problem. It's a temporary band-aid. And in a couple of years, all of the students in the next few years that are taking out student loans are just going to rack up the debt again because college is super expensive. So if you really aren't in the mood to forgive our student loans, which understandably is not going to solve the problem, then at the bare minimum, force people to start making payments again and leave all of our interest at 0%. The only time in my life post-graduation that I have made the slightest dent in my student loans was during COVID. And it's because every time I made a payment, the amount of money I owed went down and did not continue to ratchet up every month because of interest. So just leave it at 0%. And every borrower in the future should just have a 0% interest rate while at the same time, you actually need to do something to reduce the cost of education in general. The bare minimum you could do is not force us to pay interest on something like an education loan. I do like that as like a compromise half measure. And I mean, it would, you know, obviously the system as a whole needs needs to be fixed, but in the event that it doesn't, like all the other systems in this country that needs to be fixed and don't get fixed, it's also a sustainable like policy change to like continue going forward. Like it's it doesn't make sense to like keep canceling student debt because then like why have it in the first place? Yeah. But it would make sense to like continuously have zero percent student loans. I mean, look, you're you're going to college. You're not taking out a loan to buy a luxury like you know boat or or car or something that you don't actually need. You're taking or a really expensive and- NFT. Yeah, like you're taking out money to go to college, like you're taking out money to get an education so that you can have an easier time getting a job in the future. And, you know, speaking of that, like these federal student loans should be applicable to technical schools and, you know, apprenticeships that are unpaid, not that there are a lot of them, like, you know, plumbers and electricians and all these different things like these federal student loans should be available for more than a two, four year or graduate education Um, But they should have a 0% interest. We need an educated workforce, whether that education is in technical training or a trade or whatever it is. Um, You know, we we need this stuff. We need people that can build furniture and houses and, and we need people to be electricians and plumbers and all of these different things. So like make them available to everybody and have them be 0% interest. Like this isn't, it shouldn't be a risky business proposition to get a college education. It should be available to anybody who wants it at a low cost because it's still too expensive. Um, And we need to figure out how to actually lower the cost of education, but we also need to not be charging people an exorbitant amount of money in order to do this. My, I did not complete my paperwork for you know, any kind of income-based repayment because I will not, you know, be paying come February 1st because I'm still in school. Um, But my sister did hers a couple of weeks ago and her payment that she is required to pay every month is $50 less than the interest that she's accruing every month. And my sister, because of the nature of the work that she does at the company she does it at, will never be eligible for public student loan forgiveness. So she is making payments that don't even equal the interest every month 
because of this. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it just makes sense for the government to like take the hit on giving like zero interest loans. And like, basically they're just like, they'd be paying the inflation rate essentially, but that's an investment in our country. Like getting people to go to school um, helps the economy as a whole, the country as a whole. Um, you know, it's, and it's, yeah, it's an investment in our country, much like what, uh, Democrats and the Biden administration are trying to do with Build Back Better, which is another thing we've been following for weeks and weeks on this podcast. Um, and I'd say it's not looking particularly good at this point. Um, one thing that is happening is that Republicans are thinking about uh basically kneecapping the uh, insulin provision of Build Back Better Act. So like to make it so that private insur- people with private insurance can't um, get the $35 a month limit on their insulin spending. So the provision as a whole already leaves out people who are uninsured, although um, other provisions of the Build Back Better Act will make it possible for millions more of uninsured people to get insurance through Medicaid and, and uh, through sub, like, sub, like forcing the Medicaid expansion that red states have just opted to do for not good reasons and uh, other subsidies. Um, but, you know, so, so that's already a weakness is that the uninsured can't get it. But what, uh, what Republicans can do with something called the bird rule in this budget reconciliation process, like we were talking about how Actually, this, I talked about this in your class last Saturday, Jess, how like just going by virtue of being in this budget reconciliation process to get around the filibuster, um, you know, you have to have an eye towards the budget and not towards making the best policy. So within this process, there's something called the bird rule where uh, you can object to a specific provision and then send it to the parliamentarian who is an unelected official who rules on whether these things uh you know different provisions uh like go like fall under budget reconciliation guidelines and if the parliamentarian says no you can the the like congress or the senate can overrule them but it takes 60 votes so basically if republicans want to they can send it to the parliamentarian parliamentarian will probably say that it's like an incidental effect on the budget and not like a whatever the words are for like being like primarily associated with the budget and then there won't be uh there won't be enough will to overturn the parliamentarian and thus gutting the one of the best parts of the build back better act so that sucks um and also uh mansion recently i think it might have been today today or yesterday had some more extensive talks with biden that reportedly did not go well um the and then like it seems likely that like there's a decent chance that this bill won't get passed before the end of the year um and when the expanded child tax credit uh ends um mansion did say that he's in support of the child tax credit but that he when he says that he's referring to the previous version before it was expanded before people got $300 checks um, every month. 
he's worried that if they expand it, that everyone will get checks in perpetuity. He just hates people getting checks. And he also said that he's still, he's thinking about uh, running for re-election. Vin Manchin like a hundred? He is, I think he's in his 80s. Although that would make him older than Biden, right? Yeah. He's, uh, he's born in 47. So he's like 74, if I'm doing the math correctly. Um, Dude was born before some of my grandparents. <laughs> no, I'm lying. He was born around the same time as my mom's parents. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's shitty. Um, but it could just, I mean, <laughs> optimistic version, it could just be like a last ditch uh, stink for the voters in West Virginia to really make him seem like a maverick before they, um, before they, you know, that like change something and then pass it, like change a little something and then pass it. Interesting, um, there's an interesting little wrinkle here that, so I've been trying this uh, search engine Neva, which is like a search engine that doesn't have ads. Ezra Klein tweeted about it. And wow. so I tried it and like, it's pretty cool and streamlined, but one, one advantage that I see that Google has over Neva is that when you look up somebody and it like, like I just, I just neva I guess, Joe Manchin. And I saw his birthday in the little like Wikipedia preview thingy. But in Google, it tells you their age in the little thing on the top right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but he is 74. Um, and Neva's pretty cool. Um, N-E-E-V-A. There's another app plug for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it would really, I don't know. It's, it, you can't really tell what's going on with this stuff. But right now, it's it's not good to balance out the... Uh, I guess the good news on the debt ceiling. So we'll, we will see what happens with that. I did see a poll that um, like 56% of West Virginia voters are against uh, passing the bill. So that little nugget tied with what he said about considering re-election. Not great. Not great. Um, also- hope that they wouldn't vote him back in, especially after like, everything he's done like these past few months just like halting well that's what they like about him so like it's a state that trump won by like what 40 points or something like that oh my god (laughs) or 70 points like 2020 west virginia it was yeah it was uh yeah almost it was 39 points so so like all arguably all this wacky shit that he does is so that he can get elected in West Virginia. Like they like, they all this stuff that we hate these people that mostly voted for Trump like, so I don't know. Um, and, uh, and he, my, my friend, uh, Zeeshan Aleem who writes for MSNBC just uh, put out a piece about Manchin's conflict of interest. 
how he tries to claim that uh, that it's like his investments or whatever are blind trust um, in like fossil fuel, but like he, the company that his family started, um, it's like sells junk coal or something like that. Basically, he has to sign something that makes it very obvious that he's aware of um, you know the money he makes you know from off of the that bit that like the coal business or whatever um and that he the the clean energy uh standard that he successfully got thrown out of the build back better bill and is like was like the flagship like climate change like provision um it it will cost it would cost uh that company his family's company money while also lowering energy costs and and uh i believe bringing jobs to um to people in west virginia so like the whole the the thrust of the piece was that like there's these crazy conflict of interest but also that it's like perfectly allowed and legal so that's that's who we're uh dealing with yeah we have lowered lowered energy costs and create thousands of jobs um in this state so it's not great not great um and also not great is what's going on in texas um with the with SB8, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that providers can file lawsuits against state medical licensing officials, but not against state court judges and clerks um, who they previously tried to sue. They also can't sue Attorney General Ken Paxson or Paxton, whatever it is. Um, they also issued an unsigned order dismissing the Biden administration's challenge to SB8 because it's, quote, improvidently granted. Um, and they also denied uh, the Biden administration's request to put SB8 on hold. Um, I just want to say that California's response to this was so perfect and that yes. everyone should start doing that with gun control laws. And I really just don't understand what this world is coming to, and specifically this country. It is absolutely terrifying, um, and I just, it, it, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, what, what Jess is alluding to is um, on Saturday, Governor Newsom of California did what, what people on the left have sort of been calling for like saying, oh, somebody should try to do like this, like vigilante justice type of law, but, but for guns. Um, and, yeah. and that's what, uh, that's what they're going to do. So that's the what they're going to do in California. And I just want to amend previous statements that I have made. Cause I believe I made them here and I definitely made them other places <laughs> when the, um, recall election was going on, I was bitching and complaining about how much money recall elections cost and how infrequently they're actually successful. And they were not successful this time, thankfully, because the highest polling Republican was 
batshit crazy. Um, but I would like to say that I believe that there have been many good things that have come out of California post the recall election, specifically from Gavin Newsom. And I would like to give at least some credit to that change of heart to the recall election and him being terrified for his professional life. So maybe it was worth the money that was spent on the recall election to get him to do the right thing. <laughs> and also, I think they have a surplus in California. Yeah, I mean, we still don't need to like actually waste that money. Like we could have spent it on other stuff. But at the same time, if the recall election is responsible for some of the changes that he has made as it relates to like immigration law in this state and what he is doing with this uh, gun control legislation, then I change my mind and I'm a big fan of recall elections and we should do it more often to get Democrats to be more progressive. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I mean, the recall definitely was a thing that has effects, but yeah, I think he's uh, chastened by the fact that the, the margin of the recall was essentially the same as his uh, original election. Um, and I think he's also, people are talking about him more and more about a possible, being a possible presidential candidate. Um, uh-huh. and, and yeah, so, and then uh, Tish James, I think it was today, went on The View and said that she's directing her staff to look into doing the same thing in New York. So, that could be fun. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen everywhere because every state no. law is different and we can't, you know, guarantee that it's actually going to work in every place and that's fine. But as many places that, you know, can pull this off should really try to pull this off, especially with, you know, the impending like Supreme Court decisions on the Second Amendment as it relates to like the case that came out of New York State. You know, if the Supreme Court in any way makes a decision that makes it easier for people to carry weapons in the state of New York, then we should absolutely be allowing, you know, these unarmed vigilantes to, you know, sue the people that are carrying around weapons and causing a public nuisance and danger to society. Yeah. And, you know, not only is it, um, you know, obviously in response to this whole like idea of like citizen lawsuits to enact policy that go against the constitution, but it also does point out and, and Tish James pointed out on the view that, you know, the, the gun industry is the only industry that has immunity from being sued, um, you know, when the when its products, you know, kill people. So at the at the very, you know, it's possible by the end of this, that loophole could be uh, done away with because after, you know, because it's preposterous in nature and now people are more aware of it. Um, from which is just insane I mean I don't understand how this actually happens like how we not only allowed for gun and manufacturers to get away with not being held responsible which like you know it can be a stretch to actually hold them responsible but we don't hold individuals responsible and in addition to that we don't actually require people to do really much of anything to get a gun like 
there's no insurance or registration requirements. And it's like, who is supposed to be held responsible for this? And now, you know, we have Kyle Rittenhouse who like two days after getting off for murdering two people and, and maiming another person who is, you know, talking to reporters saying, no, I support Black Lives Matter and, and yada, 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 and going on and on. And now he's embracing being the poster child of the radical right and, you know, speaking to these, you know, organizations that are just like so far right that it's like unbelievable. I mean, now we have him as like the poster child for just take your gun wherever you want and shoot at people and claim self-defense and you don't have to go to jail. Yeah, that's, uh, that came out today too, that uh, he's going to speak at like Turning Points USA. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I forgot the name of the organization, but yeah, but like, you know, two days after like, oh, I support Black Lives Matter, trying to get sympathy for being a young moron. And it turns out like you're just a more moronic than we thought you were in the first place. And it's like, you know, you don't have to be held responsible. There are states now that are considering changing their laws to hold parents responsible after what happened with that kid, was it in Michigan? Oh, Oakland County? The the kid who took the parents' gun and, you know, they arrested the parents Um, and, yeah. What were you gonna say, Alex? uh, No, sorry, I like, I just remembered hearing about that. Yeah, like, honestly, that that case was so wild, but I was so happy that they actually like decided to hold the parents accountable, like finally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse's parents should be held accountable too. Like you can be, so I mean, this is like specifically a Long Island thing. I don't know how much it even exists in New York city or upstate, but like all these like host laws that exist on Long Island, where if you allow your kids or your kids and their friends to hang out in your house and, and drink, like you can be held responsible as the homeowner. And sometimes those laws even extend to, you can be held responsible, even if you weren't home and didn't know about it. So we're taking something that has become, you know, a functional part of our society, alcohol, and telling people you can't do this in your home because you're underage. So forcing kids to leave their homes and put themselves and other people in danger and, you know, or, or do it at home and put your parents at great risk of being arrested and held accountable simply because you were drinking in the house, not because you actually hurt anybody. Um, but like, you know, just buy a gun and leave it sitting on the kitchen table and your kid can go shoot whoever they feel like it. And you have no responsibility for that. Like the logic in the laws that we create does, it just doesn't exist. There is no logic. And that also is a nice segue to our next topic, (laughs) as far as no logic goes. Um, So right now, there are, according uh, to, I guess, pen.org, there are 34 bills either introduced or pre-filed for the next legislative session when it comes to critical race theory. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, I found, well, there are three um that uh that this gentleman that was tweeting about it um brought up in his thread and i want to i think oh yeah jeffrey Sachs. okay good it will give him credit so in south carolina um this is a bill that would apply to any entity receiving state funds or that benefits from tax exempt or nonprofit status, including public and private schools and universities, 
all levels of state government, state contractors, tribal organizations, many private businesses. Under the bill, those entities would be prohibited from teaching, endorsing, or compelling the adoption of certain, quote, discriminatory concepts, including that an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of his or her race, ethnicity, sex, sexual orientation, national origin, heritage, culture, religion, or political belief. So under this statute, if someone is a literal Nazi, they, they, you cannot say that someone should feel discomfort because they're a Nazi. Like, that's what this is saying. Um, also, and then, they yeah. didn't need to say his or her. They could have just said there, but I guess that would have been too politically correct for them. Oh, yeah. No, that would never, uh, that would never fly. Yeah, they had to. I bet they purposely threw the binary in there. I assume um, as much, which is why I'm going to criticize it. Yeah. Um, and then in Missouri, uh, the CRT curriculum that is uh, not allowed includes um, any curriculum that identifies people or groups of people, entities or institutions in the United States as inherently, immutably, or systemically sexist, racist, anti-LGBT, bigoted, biased, privileged, or oppressed. Um, which so a law is, is just going to eliminate privilege. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be magic. So yeah, there are no there are no people that are systemically oppressed. Um, there, there's no institutions like that are uh, systemically racist, like slavery. Nope, not racist. Nope, not at uh, all. I mean, <laughs> you know, white people can be poor too. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and then that was sarcasm. If anybody missed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in Oklahoma. Any teaching that America has more culpability in general than other nations for the institution of slavery, um, you can't you can't like teach this or that one race is the unique oppressor in the institution mm. of slavery, <laughs> that another race is the unique victim in the institution of slavery, and that America in general had slavery more extensively and for a later period of time than other nations. So you by law have to lie when you teach about slavery, basically. I mean, it's just amazing to me that people even support this. Like, let's just go back to the the real core of this. Critical race theory is not taught in primary school. It is too complex for kids in primary school to teach it. Unless you were in a literal African American studies department in, in a college or something along those lines, you're really not even getting it in undergrad. Maybe if you're a sociology major and the school specifically requires you to take a class on sociological theory, which I believe is actually the first place that it was ever discussed in my education was in a theory of sociology class I had to take in undergrad, you might get like a week of it. This is being taught in graduate school. It's being taught in law school. It's being taught in PhD programs. Like this isn't what we teach kids. What these people are trying to do is divert attention from the things that are really going on and prevent the accurate discussion and teaching of American history, period. Yeah, I mean, and then, and all critical race theory is, is basically like when you're doing an analysis of how 
like the law interacts with race that you don't have to prove every time that there's racism. Like that's really all it is. And like, like there's laws that dictated that when people were born that they're slaves. There's laws that dictated that people couldn't vote because of their race. Like it's like critical race theory just acknowledges that as a fact and you don't have to like establish it every time you want to do some research like that's all that is but then and then what we just are going over here is like is like this is how it is being like redefined into this like scary sounding term that just means whatever they want it to mean now and basically means like having any discussion of like not just race like you know like you know, uh, like sexual orientation, you know, gender, they call it sex, um, political belief, religion, like just basically anything that could talk about, like that brings up topics that aren't like assuming everybody is like a white cisgender person, like, or a white, like cisgender Christian. You're asking for way too much. I mean, it really goes back to like what you said before, you could be a literal Nazi skinhead and we're not supposed to teach people that that is wrong. Yeah. In these states, not not in New York, but in these states that are passing these laws and it's terrifying. Yeah, although honestly, like even in the program that I'm in now that you teach in, not in your class, but in other classes, it like, because because things are quote unquote polarized, you know, and everyone needs to like respect each other, like uh, from the other end of the spectrum, it's sort of like, I get like a similar effect. Like, like, like we can't all assume that like everyone thinks that, uh, I don't know, whatever, like that SBA is bad. Yeah. And you, I mean, you can't assume that because there are going to be people in the class who think that that's perfectly fine. And like, there are going to be Republicans in social work school who, you know, voted for Trump and all that. But that doesn't mean that we can't discuss it. Like, don't assume that everyone thinks alike, but like, it's okay to have an argument. It's also okay to tell people that they are wrong because they're white supremacists. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) it's fine like it's you should be reminded constantly that white supremacy is bad it has led to the deaths of millions of people and you shouldn't be that way like it's just not okay (laughs) yeah like like you yeah you should be able to tell someone that they have shitty beliefs (laughs) like i mean i don't know it's it's, you know i mean it, to be honest with you, it, like most of the time that like it isn't the case, like there are a few like extreme examples where like, yes, people of that nature will still seek out social work degrees and it confuses me. Um, but for the most part, the more educated you get yourself, um, the more um, the more likely you are to end up with more left-leaning tendencies and it's because the more educated you get the more that you see you know suffering and see you know and understands like how to impact those things and to make them better um but that you get exposed to people that don't have the same experience as you yeah yeah and that is that's why 
uh, level of education is like the best statistical predictor of how somebody votes. And like, it, that's just the whole other thing is like, like, like have some self-awareness, like you're voting on the side of the people that like are less educated, like, and, the, and like, I don't know, whatever. It's just, yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, like, it just seems like one topic just folds right into the other. I just, what a, what a job with the outline I did. Um, so the next, uh, next topic we're talking about the, um, the New York healthcare worker uh, vaccine mandate was upheld uh, by the Supreme Court. Um, it rejected a bid by doctors and nurses who said that they object on religious grounds. It was 6-3, only um, Thomas Gorsuch and Alito dissented. Um, and for, for, I, this is, it wasn't like a super direct segue, but I was just thinking like, you know, people on the right that are against vaccines because they aren't educated, and don't understand like how knowledge works. Um, so that that's where my head was with that. But good news that that was, um, that that was held up. Um, yeah, thoughts, feelings, Alex and Jess about that. I'm like, so... <laughs> I don't know I'm like so like kind of like torn about it because it's like I definitely see where they're coming from and like having you know like your healthcare workers vaccinated especially when everyone is telling like everyone to go and get vaccinated so it's just like how are you going to tell me not to get vaccinated and my own doctor's not vaccinated or like you know the nurse or the people in like um the nursing homes and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah I mean I just like this is a global pandemic and I'm so tired I don't know why it happened but there's always like a thread in my uh Instagram account when you click on search and all those you know different suggested areas come up there's always the thread of like the anti-vaxxers and the anti-maskers and a former yoga teacher of mine is like a huge like anti-vax anti-mask and I just like, I don't understand how self-indulgent you could possibly be to not like care about other people's well-being um, and to not like understand what's going on. Like stop complaining that the government's going to keep instituting these mandates and keep extending the mask mandates when the literal reason they're getting extended is because you won't wear one right now. <laughs> and like you should have been wearing one this whole time. I don't it, like the logic behind the crying related to like the tyranny of government from people who won't, who who create the mandates in the first place. You could do this without a mandate. You, there's no reason why you ever had to take your mask off. There's no reason why you ever had to refuse to wear one, but your refusal is what creates the mandates in the first place. Yeah. I mean, and the refusal to get vaccinated obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Like, and, and people shouldn't refuse. Like I'm not advocating for people to refuse, but the, what really pissed me off specifically about this former yoga teacher 
is that she is anti-vax, but her whole like story the other day was about how the Starbucks worker told her to put a mask on and she got shitty about it and was like never going back there because she was told to put a mask on. And like, what bothers me is that like, you are anti-vax, but you're also going out without a mask on and putting other people in danger. Like if this- You're just pro-pandemic. Yeah, literally, like, that's the issue with it is that you're pro-pandemic. Like, if you really want to be that person and you really want to be anti-vax for whatever reason you want to make up in your head and you are also not wearing a mask, like, please don't ever try to tell me that, like, you're pro-life or that you care about other people or you care about other people's, you know, sovereignty over their body because you are literally putting them in danger every time you breathe when you refuse to put a mask on. Like, make up whatever shit you want to make up about medication, knock yourself out, freak yourself out, become a conspiracy theorist, but put a mask on so that you're not putting other people in danger and more danger that they need to be in. And so that you're not potentially getting me sick. So like I can bring it to my three and a half year old nephew who's too young to get vaccinated, but surprisingly puts a mask on when he's going inside, tells people why he needs to put a mask on and then forgets that he has it on. So when you're putting him in his car seat and you're like, do you want me to take that off? He goes, oh yeah, I don't need it anymore. I'm not in the store. Like if a three and a half year old gets it, you can get it as a 35 year old adult yoga teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so funny how it's like a lot of them just don't see it that way. They only see like, oh, like the government's trying to like take my rights away, this and that. Or it's like, I'm not going to get vaccinated because I don't trust it. But it's just like, okay, but like, I never heard anyone asking this many questions about like the routine shots that you get like to go to school or like the booster shots that you get like later on in life like no one ever like stops and like seriously questions that but all of a sudden it's like hold up like let's pump the brakes I need more I need more research on this first yeah yeah research yeah they they just they've they've read all of the peer-reviewed uh journal articles that have come out they just need some more they it's just inconclusive they've done their literature review um you know and they wrote up their own article and tried to have it published you know (laughs) they just went all the way yeah Mm -hmm. but it's just not conclusive enough the standards of the fda and uh you know what make up whatever you want but i don't want to ever see you outside your house including in open public areas without a mask on because seriously like you're just being selfish at this point like you're just asking for attention when you are going into stores without a mask on when you know that there's a mandate in place and you know what don't bitch at the freaking starbucks barista because their company is gonna get fined a thousand dollars per incident or up to a thousand dollars per incident for not enforcing the mask mandate so shut up and don't leave your house at this point because you really can't go anywhere if you're unvaxxed and you're unmasked like i don't even know where you're working at this point and and i think i feel like a lot of the people are also like trying like random supplements and like stuff that like they don't know like what it does to them like and other circumstances it's just like yeah it's there's no consistency um and another uh another piece of decent news um a judge ruled that the uh i think what is it the financial services committee whatever whatever committee oh the the ways and means committee 
um, is allowed to get Trump's taxes. This is 29 months after the case was filed. Um, and there, people speculate that it's just because Trump lost that, and it's less important that it's being allowed to happen. Um, but I guess they're coming out. They're getting those taxes. It's, it's just like, it's the type of thing where like, like I'm only bringing it up because like at the time, you know, when it mattered, they asked for them, they had the legal right to, um, but you know, then they're able to stall with, with these, you know, stall it in the courts and, you know, just kind of just following up later, like, you know, after it's forgotten, like this, it, it happened now, you know. Um, so we'll see, I don't know, I guess we'll probably see what comes out. Um, and I guess it like won't matter probably, but it shouldn't have taken this long to get the taxes because it's like literally a power that the committee has to get it from anyone. And he was lying, Trump was lying about being under audit the whole time as like the reason to not provide them. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, terribly shocked by that news, really. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll see it's what the comes end out. Of the semester. My sarcasm is like rampant at this point because <laughs> I still have so many classes to grade and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, the, uh, the presentation where I was talking about uh, means testing, I don't know if that's, if there's a grade for that there in Blackboard EHS. Is this your way of asking me for an A? Because everybody else has <laughs> done it. So. Um, no, but it, it is my way of, seg of segueing to our last topic, um, which is the time tax, which is a term that I don't think I heard before, but it refers to something that we talk about pretty often, um, which is basically just the time wasted in, in paperwork and just administrative bullshit when trying to get any kind of government benefit. Um, something that was also uh, pertinent to, you know, the, the Build Back Better Act because it's it would be establishing, you know, new uh, social programs um, that would come with this type of stuff. So by executive order targeting uh, 36 federal services across multiple agencies and departments, um, it, it it's like looking to like slash the time spent in administrative burden on a, bun in a bunch of things like, uh, it, and it calls for passport renewals to be digitized, um, for the IRS to call back taxpayers instead of uh, keeping them on hold. Um, it plans to allow- the IRS? <laughs> yeah, I had to. Um, I was- right, You really gotta start paying your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so it was it was because so i didn't get my two two refunds ago i didn't get it for like nine months because i um i like reported like they have like when it comes to um like obamacare in the the marketplace you have to say what your income is going to be and then they uh then they like a size your subsidy and like base and then subsequently your premium accordingly. So I, um, 
I made less money than I thought I was going to, but that meant that I was owed a larger, like a pretty large refund. And they like requested, um, they requested like the tax form associated with that. And I, I mailed it to them and like, wasn't hearing back. So like I had to call them, like that's, that's what happened. So, and there was a pain in the ass, um, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. So, uh, the uh, administration plans to allow former service members to access a suite of benefits with a single logon. Uh, victims of natural disasters will be able to use centralized online forms and submit damaged photos through smartphones. Those receiving food benefits and other programs to assist the poor should have an easier time certifying their income and eligibility, which should not be a thing they have to do at all, but at least it would be less annoying. And uh, it'll prevent maybe less people from not getting benefits and allow more people to get benefits. I don't know. Um, the White House also says that they'll cut down security lines at airports through new screening technologies with advanced features, which sounds a little sketchy uh, and like, uh, you know, big brothery, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> we walk around yeah. cell phones in our pockets. The whole big brother thing is like long gone. Okay, fair. <laughs> but I mean, just ratcheting up the invasiveness of uh, yeah, I know. screening technologies. Eh. I mean, I'm like not advocating for bigger government, but at the same time, like we all have tracking devices on us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And most of us like sleep in the same bed with them. So really. <laughs> and also we literally are advocating for bigger government in many, many areas, maybe well, not Well, I, I meant like the invasiveness <laughs> of like the personal yeah. life and that, you know, like I'm not advocating for them to like literally be in your bedroom with you, but at the same time, like most of us literally sleep with a tracking device right next to us, so. Yeah. You know, um, well, so I don't think what we're advocating yeah. for is big government. I think what we're advocating <laughs> for is the government to do their damn jobs. Yeah, bigger than this too small government, but yeah, I mean, no one, no one, it, it's not the way to, to market or pitch what we want is to call it big government. Nobody no. really likes the idea of big government. Um, government that works. Um, yeah, so uh, SBA and Department of Agriculture are looking at ways to improve customer service and cut down on trips to submit paperwork. So my, I'm, it's like, I like it in theory, we'll see how it happens in practice, I suppose. The time tax definitely is a shitty thing. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got. Any, uh, any parting words, Jess or Alex, uh, since we're about to go on a little bit of an extended break? I hope everyone has a wonderful winter break. Don't do stressful things. Take your self-care while you can. And I hope everyone needs schoolwork is actually done for the semester. <laughs> yeah, Alex, you're almost there, right? Yep. Yeah, by the end of this week. But um, yeah, no, I just hope everyone just enjoys, you know, their break. Um, take the time to unwind, reset, and recharge. And, you know, if you're going to go out and partake in New Year's festivities, just make sure to mask up and stop the spread, you know? That's right. Stop the spread, indeed. 
Um, and, uh, you know, for a little holiday present for us, follow us on social media, SAB underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Um, thank you uh, to Jess and Alex for joining me this week, as always. Um, thank you to Iridian Falcone for inspiring the podcast and our logo. And to my friend, Vinny Alfano of Anonymous Hair Salon in Soho. Thank you for the theme song. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you in about four weeks. <laughs>